Welcome to the Government Huddle with Brian Chittister, a new podcast from Government Marketing University. My entire career has been dedicated to marketing in the government space. And in the beginning, I never cared about the why. I was completely focused on the how. It was all about the tactics, the analytics, the ROI, rinse and repeat. Then I decided I wanted to understand these programs and technologies the same way our customers do. It opened up a whole new world for me. And that is what this show is about, aligning the why with the how, taking a deep dive on current trends, making bold, educated predictions about the market, learning from expert guests, and discovering innovative concepts on how to respond to all of this. So join us as we talk about all things government marketers need to know about today, tomorrow, and beyond. Come on, let's huddle up. I have to walk this very cool intersection of Silicon Valley Mm -hmm. and the government. And, you know, we jokingly say, don't wear your hoodie to the Pentagon. But we want the government to also realize that there's this whole other culture out there. Mm -hmm. We're humans. We want to connect with other humans. And if we can make that, you know, a very happy exchange and we can help, you know, both sides connect with each other in a format that doesn't feel rigid and is much more conversational, and you can explore the art of the possible without worrying about, you know, if your eye is in the right line with your belt, then we can have much more meaningful conversations. That was Megan Metzger, CEO of Decode, a company focused on connecting private sector and public sector to bring emerging tech to critical challenges. That's what we're gonna be talking about today. Welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Chittister, and this episode should leave you with a lot of thoughts about the message you are sending to government. Our guest today, Megan Metzger from Decode, was recognized by FCW as one of their Federal 100 winners, and FedScoop named her one of the top women in tech for her influential work with Decode. She works a lot with different emerging tech organizations in Silicon Valley, and is going to bring a lot of insights around how marketers and sales can best show value to the government throughout the sales process. We're also going to get into some blocking and tackling of selling to the public sector, including leveraging the channel, working with GSIs, and why OTAs have become so valuable. Welcome to the show, Megan. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Of course. So I want to jump right into it. And something really cool about Decode is it sits in the intersection between government and technology, which is it's unique in a lot of ways, but very much needed. So I'd love to really kick things off by having you share a little bit about the background of Decode and how you guys are helping both the public and private sector. Sure, sure. Great question. And, um, you know, it really started kind of because of my background and I've been in the government technology space for pretty much my entire career. And through all my different experiences, I realized a couple of things. One was that there was a lot of private sector technology that was really outpacing the government as far as its development and its innovation. But the challenge was that most of these capabilities were looking at the government market and saying, that's too difficult. I don't want to enter that market because I hear nightmare stories. Their venture capital backers, for example, might tell them to not go to the government market. Or the ones that would try actually weren't sure really where to get started and were spending a lot of money um, trying to figure out a market when they weren't even sure if the market wanted what they had. You know, but the the flip side of that was that I found a lot of the government agencies were actually really hungry and desperate for emerging technologies and capabilities, but also perceived there to be a barrier in the reverse. And they weren't sure how to start accessing those capabilities or those technologies back out into the market. 
And so there really seemed to be this gap where both sides would love to come together and a lot of tremendous impact could happen to the missions if they understood each other, but there was nothing there to really connect all of the dots, just some of the dots. And so, you know, when I started looking at, um, you know, the emerging tech market, I became really enamored with the a concept of accelerators and really the idea of how do you get from A to B as fast as possible and as efficient as possible and realizing that there was nothing like that in the government space. There are plenty of accelerators in the technology world, but they needed something like that here so that companies could get there quickly and the government could get what they needed fast. I think that's great. And one of the things I want to want to touch on as you're going is it seems like traditionally government stayed away from emerging tech because it it just tended to be um it, they viewed disruption as a bad thing and it, it tended to be less stable um but as we look at the landscape now is that it, it seems like it's pivoting is that what you're seeing yeah there's no doubt uh, when i started decode you know, about four and a half years ago i originally thought that i was going to have to focus mostly on the tech community side and really push a boulder uphill, so to speak, of helping them understand how to navigate government because government was so risk adverse and not really open to adopting new concepts. And it makes sense, right? No one wants to be the first to buy a new product, for instance, or you know, the old adage, no one got fired for hiring insert name of company, whether that's Microsoft or IBM or whoever. And <laughs> what I quickly realized was that a lot of it came down to the government's need to stay competitive. So, you know, I'll, I'll start with the DOD as an example. You know, we realized that we're, we were getting outpaced by China and other adversaries around things like artificial intelligence or even space technologies and even our cyber footprint, right? Some of the best hackers are not, you know, are coming at us from all these different countries. And it really became a difference in, is new technology a nice to have or is it now a must have? And over the last four and a half years, the market has just changed drastically. I mean, in the beginning, it was, oh, that's interesting. Maybe we'll send someone out to Silicon Valley to just talk to companies to now where the uptick of innovative procurement and innovation organizations has just like taken off since Decode started. So I think, um, you know, for emerging tech companies out there, who maybe have started looking at this market, it's a really fantastic time to be there. But for the existing ecosystem of systems integrators, you know, you have to start thinking about how to pivot your own models to integrate emerging tech into the solutions you have because uh, the expectations of the government are changing. Now, not everyone, right, in the government, the government will adopt things at its own pace, but there's definitely pockets where the, the market has totally shifted. Are you seeing some of the some of the inhibitors um, traditionally, like like FedRAMP or other security compliances or, or mandates? Is it keeping some emerging tech companies away, um, or are they looking past that and and seeing the opportunity to work with government as enough motivation to cross that barrier? Yeah, I'm, that's a great question, and I think you know a couple things are true here. One, we are in. I think we just kicked off our 15th accelerator. So we have now accelerated over 100 companies. And and I, I give you that context because you name it, we've seen it uh, when it comes to emerging tech trying to enter this market. I'm sure. And, yeah, and, and truthfully, most of the same barriers are there. I, I wouldn't say that the market has changed so drastically that we don't have to worry about all the same compliance barriers or the same procurement barriers 
things like that. It's just now there are more opportunities to get inroads through faster mechanisms. Um, you mentioned FedRAMP. I think FedRAMP's an interesting discussion because there's a lot of benefit that's come out of the FedRAMP program. And I think the FedRAMP program has evolved and changed quite a bit as they're continuing to learn. But mm -hmm. on the other side, it's also a pretty big innovation blocker in some cases. And the reason for that is, I mean, it's a chicken egg problem, right? So if you're if you're an emerging tech company, do you and you need to have a federal sponsor in order to get FedRAMP, but you don't have a federal sponsor because you don't have FedRAMP in some cases. So how do you break through to at least get that first couple of wins in there under your belt? And so the way that you can market and the the agencies you should target should really start looking at some of the programs where you can kind of get by those requirements in the beginning when you're doing prototyping. So an example would be other transaction authorities. You know, those are going to be procurement methodologies that allow emerging tech to come in, prototype, prove that it can work without having to worry about all the compliance. And you can start, you know, working on some of those compliance loop um, standards in the, in like in parallel while you're, you know, already tackling some government work, if that makes sense. No, it definitely does. And, and I'm glad you brought up OTAs because I, I would think that a lot of these emerging tech companies that come in with uh, this Silicon Valley type uh, type ethic and demeanor, um, not that it's bad, but it's just different than perhaps uh, the Washington DC uh, type of demeanor, um, might not understand how complex that government procurement process is. So leveraging OTAs or IDIQs or BPAs or insert acronym here, um, is, it's got to be a foreign language for them. So how are you able to help them understand that process and create uh, opportunity for them through that? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, you know, it really, the first place to start for newer emerging technologies in this market really comes down to your use case. So what do you do well in the commercial sector and how does that translate into what the government's looking for. And sometimes it's a one-to-one, -one, you can sell what you sell commercially, and sometimes you have to get creative. But once you have that use case, you can then look at the agencies that have the need for what it is you're selling and start narrowing it down. So one of the first things we tell companies is, look, this is Fortune One. You wouldn't just go to Capital One and say, I'm going to sell to everyone and anyone at Capital One, you're going to start narrowing down the groups of where you would target. And a lot of agencies in the federal government are just as large as a Fortune 50 company. So if you can start identifying the agencies that have your use case, then what you can do is say, who what, of those agencies that are buying and need what I have, who is leveraging more innovative procurement methodologies as a first starting point? So if you have the choice of going to an agency that is um, doing kind of traditional procurement, you need to understand that and you need to understand the existing ecosystem of partners so that you can possibly use a partner and a channel play to get into those markets. If you're looking at others that are leveraging, you know, OTAs, like you mentioned, CSOs is another great acronym. Speaking of acronyms, um, <laughs> some of those you'll be able to get in a little bit faster and get that first logo and kind of, you know, cut your teeth on it. So we kind of say, you know, sales, you know, sales representatives for emerging tech companies need to also actually have a better understanding of procurement than the program offices they're dealing with in a lot of cases, because the first question will be, how on earth do I get to you? You know, I think the other side of it is really it, a lot of this comes down to the communication 
with the C-suite and the boards of these tech companies. And when we're working with the federal teams or you know the teams that are going to start tackling the federal market, a lot of times we end up having to brief their boards and help them understand the nature of the market so that they aren't getting too impatient. So even when you have faster procurement methodologies, um, you know, it's just a different sales cycle and a different speed. And the transparency of the market when it comes to individual opportunities is going to look a little bit different. So you also have to kind of do an education around how to communicate the status of the of the progress you're making inside federal government back up the chain just as much as you have to worry about procurement. I think you touched on a lot of good things, and I really like the analogy to uh, Fortune 1, Fortune 50. Uh, when I was at Emix Group, I worked with a lot of emerging tech companies, especially within the cyber uh, industry. And that's kind of how I used to compare it was enterprise is enterprise. And if you want to look at the government, you need to look at, at it as a large enterprise so that you'd have companies that would want to dip their toe in but not go all the way. And it was kind of allowing them to understand, look, it's you need to treat this government organization as if it is, like you said, a, a Fortune 50 company and show them the scale at which you can drive change. That's right. And the other thing is you just, the marketing message is completely different. And it's not just different commercial to government. You ask, you have to break down the government market because DOD speaks a totally different language than the civilian side, like HHS or the VA, who speaks a different language than the IC. So, you know, if you take your, that use case approach, it not only helps you narrow down your sales targets, but it also helps you know how you need to evolve your messaging so that you can target these different groups instead of having one blanket approach. Um, and then I would say, you know, like the the other thing you have to throw in here is the ecosystem of systems integrators and existing um, the, the existing industrial base. They have to be marketed to just the same if you're a tech company. So, you know, how do they, you know, if I'm, you know, say Booz Allen or General Dynamics or a large company like that where I know the government is starting to look for emerging technologies. It's just as challenging for those folks to figure out which technologies to partner with. You know, in fact, at Decode, we ended up standing up a whole partner program just for those systems integrators and large tech players because it is challenging to find and vet the right technology to partner with for their government clients. So emerging technologies can also have an entirely different sales and marketing strategy to the integrators to say, uh, here's how we can enhance the capabilities you're taking to market, you know, in these different um, communities of government. And that's just as important because a lot of the sales will end up going through the partners. So how are you doing some of the partnering, pardon the pun, how are you doing some of the partnering of the, say, the the OEMs or CSPs with, with those GSIs? Because uh, I could think of a, a number of different ways to do it, whether it's based on uh, a program. That is, for example, I remember working around the CDM program a few years ago and trying to marry up GSIs with uh, cyber tech companies with solutions that they could insert and answer requests for the CDM program. Or is it really a, a longer scale approach in trying to develop those uh, long lasting relationships uh, across multiple programs? How is Decode doing that? Yeah, you know, the... I always say that it, it's really best to start those relationships with something tangible. So I, I keep harping on use cases, right? But it, it's really hard to go to a large um, systems integrator who 
you know, has thousands and thousands of people and say, partner with me, I'm shiny tech. But if you can walk in and say, here's what we do, and I think it's applicable at this account, then you can actually have meaningful conversations with the individuals at, at that integrator that are over those accounts and might have a vested interest. I always say the, um, you know, the, the holy trinity is you've, you've met the government, they know what you do and they like what you have. You know the systems integrator who's supporting that government partner and they think that they can provide some additional services to integrate your technology and you're off to the races. But it never I've never seen it work where a tech company approaches a systems integrator and says, we're here and we want a large strategic partnership out of the gate. Uh, most of the time, yeah, you, you usually need to start with, you know, getting some wins here and there together and kind of proving that value, um, proving that value out. Now, not to say the other doesn't ever happen. It's just a lot more difficult because, you know, if you think about the way um, those organizations are are tackling sales and deals, they have capture teams focused on dedicated accounts. So the person at General Dynamics, for example, over the IRS is not going to be the same person that you would talk to if you're dealing with the army. So you need to identify where you're trying to target. So in your role, you're obviously working with a lot of partners and you're in developing those relationships. You understand some of the needs. So if I'm, if I'm somebody in marketing and sales at a small uh, government or a small government focused business, um, what are partners thinking about me and what's the best way for, for, these companies to approach these partners to kind of marry up. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm a I'm a really big fan of the small players and even the, the medium sized kind of that middle market growth, especially to marry up emerging tech. You know, because they can move very quickly. And what you'll find is a lot of the emerging technology players out there that are starting to enter this market don't necessarily want to build out a large services business. But we know in the government market, it's much more hands-on. So what we see is this really great marriage between tech companies and these um, smaller players that have some of, maybe they have some interesting contracting vehicles or set-aside categories, or maybe they're just really... Um, niche in their capability. So an example might be if you are a small firm and your specialty is data analytics, or maybe your specialty is cyber, what a great partner for the like mo the biggest up-and-coming venture-backed product firm to team up with so that they bring this tech that's, you know, maybe has millions of dollars invested behind it and some of the top, you know, um, cybersecurity experts from around the world with your in-depth knowledge of the government market to kind of and ability to provide services to go after it. So I think that that creates a pretty powerful dynamic. And what we kind of recommend to a lot of the companies is that you need to have a holistic partnering strategy. You know, you want one or two large strategics in there, but you really also want to look at those smaller firms and make sure you have a partner that can cover your set aside categories, but maybe there's a player that only focuses on the IC. You see a lot of small businesses that have a specialty in a specific agency or part of the government that's great to go after that work with. Um, so you can really come up with kind of a pinpointed strategy, but I think what I'm really excited and really interested to see happen over the next five years or so is how that, um, how that existing systems integrator base changes as far as the power plays, because the government's starting to expect different um, 
you know, expect different outcomes. So we're now in a world where a lot of government is looking at these partners and saying, hey, you can't afford a Google $500,000 a year salary and free back massages. How do I get that talent? And a lot of times that talent works for tech companies. So now these integrators are expected to meet up with non-traditional technologies and bring them into the industry. So the companies, especially the smaller ones that can move quickly and kind of operate a little bit more of the mode of Silicon Valley, they really latch on to taking these awesome technologies into the government market. I think we'll see a pretty steep uh, growth trajectory for them. So are you are you saying that by enveloping some of this emerging tech, it's kind of partially an answer of the government um, being unable to recruit some of this talent and kind of filling that gap? Yeah, you'll, I mean, there's definitely some of that, right? Um, I think there's a, a famous incident between um, some of the big famous CEOs from Silicon Valley and some heads of the DOD saying, why build it? Just buy it. Um, you know, when you're looking at some of the, the technologies that are out there, but you know, that's that I think the talent market is a big reason that emerging tech and non-traditional tech has become a little bit more, um, of a necessity in this market because the talent war is so high and mm-hmm. the government's done a lot to really change our hiring authorities, um, stand up programs to recruit talent from the outside in, but it's really hard to compete still. And the technologies that, you know, if you get $50 million from a venture capital firm, you can probably afford to recruit and, you know, some really top tier talent. You know, if you go out to Silicon Valley, the show's real, but you know, the, the sitcom, not even a sitcom. I don't think it's meant to be funny, but really it's funny. I love that show. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of a documentary. uh, (laughs) If I'm being honest. (laughs) Um, you know, there's back massages and free food, and that's just hard to compete with, especially if you're sitting here in Washington, DC with government bill rates. Uh, if you guys, if you guys Valley. listening aren't familiar with the show Silicon Valley on HBO, if you haven't watched it yet, you have to go watch it because it's, yes, it's fantastic. Definitely. Yes, definitely. Um, <laughs> so, so one of the things I'd love to touch on as we're talking about the channel and GSIs, there's, there's definitely been a trend of, I mean, I call it vendor consolidation where the government's looking uh, to reduce vendors for a myriad of reasons, whether it's just complexity, strategy, reducing costs, what have you. But um, GSIs are playing a, a, an even larger role in that. And just because there's the vendor consolidation doesn't mean that these emerging tech companies don't have a place in that ecosystem. So uh, have you seen that challenge? And is it even more of a reason um, you think for some of these emerging tech companies to latch on or at least create partnerships with these GSIs and partners? Yeah, absolutely. So there's two two sides of that. One is on the tech side, You know, we actually, one of the things that we teach in the accelerator is about that, you know, the importance of partnering because of what you mentioned. So if the government puts out a billion dollar IDIQ, what you'll find is most of the technology companies out there solve a very niche problem. So I'll use um, artificial intelligence and data analytics as a great example. You know, right now that market, you have companies that focus solely on cleaning the data. There's labeling the data. There's companies that only focus on moving the data. There's companies focused on training the algorithms, and then there's companies focused on the visualization. So now you have eight or nine different technologies as part of a larger stack. Well, the government is not putting out procurements that way. So if you don't have a partner that is going after, say, 
the, you know, I can use that billion dollar Jake contract that's coming out soon around AI, you know, you're still solving one piece and that integrator is going to be looking at the larger picture. So, you know, so that's definitely something we teach to the tech companies because rarely will the solicitations come out specifically with scope just for the piece that they solve. Now, on the flip side of that, we actually launched um, recently a, a course for government leaders on innovative procurement specifically to help them understand that phenomenon from their side. And how do you actually break up procurement? It's almost the reverse of what's been going on and focus more on um, smaller prototyping, smaller increments and in delivering things faster. Um, but also trying to work with the systems integrators to say, you, you know, I think the world where you're the jack of all trades has become increasingly more difficult with the speed and pace of change of technology. And how do you shift your mindset and your business model to pull in these um, technologies and really give yourself a differentiation in your solicit in your response so that you're competitive in that market as well? So there, yeah. there's kind of two sides of that. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I think that's going back to kind of how I started this whole conversation. That's the the really cool and unique thing that Decode is bringing. It's kind of demystifying that process and bringing um, more clarity, I guess, to the clutter uh, that some of these companies need to get in there. Um, one of the things I want to touch on, because um, you, you've talked, you've spoken a lot about how whether it's GSIs or agencies and how they're vetting these technologies. Um, I, I think that's an important area that that marketers and, and salespeople like can learn from because understanding how they're how they're doing the evaluations is another way for marketers to be able to position what they have to ensure that they're being evaluated the way that we would want them to be evaluated, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a really interesting time and marketing and your sales methodology are going to make all the difference. Um, you know, at Decode, we say finding technology, if you're the government, finding the technology is not the hard part. You know, there's lots of companies out there that will bring you, you know, emerging technologies and list of different companies, but vetting that technology is where the rubber really meets the road. And there's kind of three aspects that we recommend agencies look at, and even systems integrators who frankly um, have kind of a similar challenge to government, which is how do they find and vet the technologies they want to partner with. But the three aspects is going to be the business viability, the technical viability, and then the government viability. And that last piece is really challenging for government and systems integrators to figure out. So the more that you can help serve up that type of information in your messaging when you're coming to the market, the more advantageous it's going to be. Now, what we mean by that in government viability is, for example, maybe maybe you're new to government, but you've worked with some really complicated, complex markets, uh, highly regulated, and you understand how to navigate them. Or, you know, how are you meeting security standards? And if you're not, you know, you know, make sure you're not confusing compliance and secure and actual security of your software because you can have an extremely secure solution. You might you just might not be compliant yet. So how do you play up your security? Also, what's your general commitment to the market? Um, are you investing in looking at contracting vehicles and partnering ecosystems? And just keep in mind that systems integrators and government, even the ones that are out there preaching that they want to find new tech at the end of the day are going to be risk adverse and um, gravitate towards the one that can help them feel um, the companies that can help them feel like they're not a risky option. 
So there's plenty to unpack there, but uh, that's kind of the, the general way I like to summarize it. No, I think that's helpful because like I mentioned to you, most of my audience are sales and marketing folks and understanding that positioning uh, your solution is is really only half the battle. It's showing, and it, you said before you're using a lot of use cases. I would imagine that's probably because you understand that as you're working, use cases are really what um, can sell your vision and creating art of the possible. So I'm sure you've just gotten into that habit of bringing use cases into the conversation. Yeah, I have some great examples of this. Um, you know, so we have a we've had some companies come through, I'll use one, a phenomenal technology, kind of a data science workbench. And they have customers like Tesla and JP Morgan and really huge commercial clients. And they were coming to the government market. And, and the challenge with something like a platform is that it could be used for any use case, right? You've got mm -hmm. data, I've got a platform, everyone's got data, and there's 90,000 use cases. And they found it really difficult to resonate and and start getting traction. And one of the first things that we did was kind of say, look, if we pick the use cases that correlate with, you know, some of the work you're doing in the commercial sector, that's how we should sell it. And it seemed a little bit foreign at first because you're going, well, why would I limit it to just that one use case? So in, in this instance, for Tesla, they were leveraging the data science workbench for supply chain. Well, there's lots of supply chain in the government. Um, and the second we were able to then take the marketing message, um, the the agencies that we were targeting were the ones with supply chain problems. Our our marketing papers and use cases were centered around how to leverage it for supply chain problems. You started getting traction, and that's because the government is so mission oriented in the way that the budgets flow and how the programs are set up. So if you're not taking even the most generic technology and applying it to specific problem sets, it's really hard to correlate it back to the mission for a lot of people. Well, I so, think there's also different yeah. points of entry, right? So the, the government um, can certainly be siloed in a lot of different ways. And one of those ways is when they're, when they submit an RFP out uh, for vendors to take a look at, it might be looking at more of a singular problem and they don't necessarily understand the technology the aperture is opened a little bit. So that platform can solve that problem and then some. So it, it then puts the onus, like you said, on the tech vendor to come in and really deliver that art of the possible, solve that problem, but solve a lot of these other problems too and show value. That's really the, that's really the answer, right? Yeah, absolutely. If you can't, you know, say to the government what the outcome will be, um, you know, definitely want to tweak your messaging. And one of the, one of the more interesting message tweaks that we have to work on is this concept that coming in and saying, we will save you a lot of money is not the message that you come into the government <laughs> with compared to commercial um, versus yeah. cost avoidance or reducing risk. And there's different things that the government will focus on, but yeah, you're absolutely right. You've got to, you have to be able to sell what the, what are they going to get if they're using your solution? And sometimes they are saving money, but it's more around, I'm doing what I need to do faster with less resources. Um, but, you know, I think the, it, we could have a whole discussion around the flip of that, which is, you know, in our government procurement, innovative procurement course, we are actually teaching them about how to leverage RFIs and different tools like that differently so that they can actually understand the tech landscape better 
so that they're putting out better requirements. And this comes down to some of the marketing that I think is really critical is that the, you know, a lot of times government will write over over prescriptive requirements that will end up unintentionally blocking innovation, right? So if I put out, uh, you know, an, an RFP for AI and I get very, very specific on how that has to be executed, there's going to be a lot of technologies who could probably solve your problem even better than what was put out, but the requirements blocked it because the way that the, because it was too prescriptive. So if you are a emerging tech company, some of it is going to be education um, around here's how to rethink the way that you're you know kind of forming these RFPs and like how to approach it differently so that um, the aperture is broadened even when they're writing the requirements and putting out RFPs. So before I let you go, you guys had an announcement last week. Why don't you tell us about that and kind of moving into another highly regulated industry? Yeah, absolutely. We're um, extremely excited. We are launching another vertical of the accelerator around the trade and travel industry. So as you know, that industry, as you can imagine, especially in this current environment, um, really more than ever needs forward leaning solutions to kind of help that that market take off. Now it's tangential to government. So we're excited because it still will work closely with a lot of the government agencies, but um, they have the same challenges. You know, they, how do you find emerging tech? How do you adopt it and scale it? How do you really move the mission and the user experience forward to help that industry kind of accelerate um, into the future? And so, you know, some of the, we're going to tackle a lot of different topics. Um, the first one that we are tackling there is going to be around passenger health and safety. So, you know, we, you know, it was interesting because we actually started working on this accelerator last summer, well before the current pandemic. And we were always going to focus on the passenger experience first. And how do you help the experience of a passenger become more seamless, easier to get through the airport, but also more secure? And we were able to just pivot that quickly to say, how do we make sure that passengers have a restored faith in the travel, that they can do it safely, you know, they can be healthy when they're traveling so that we can get them that industry back on its feet, but then also looking at the technology market to make sure that industry becomes even more resilient in the future should something like this happen again. So definitely looking for emerging technologies that can impact that. And the first cohort's going to range from everything from biometrics and diagnostics to lots of data um, plays to make sure that airports and airlines and air, you know, all of the players in there can communicate and share data effectively to keep everybody safe. That's fantastic. So um, before I let you go, uh, I want to give you an opportunity just to give any final thoughts you have for our audience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, first a little shameless plug is we are recruiting right now for our federal focused accelerator around DevOps and DevSecOps. So emerging tech solutions around there, the applications are open and on our website. Um, but the advice and or closing thoughts, I guess, is, you know, it's really a fantastic time for all the parties, the government, the systems integrators, the technology companies and GSIs to really come together to make sure we're moving the government and our country forward. So, you know, try something new, think a little bit differently and don't give up because it, it won't be easy, but it'll be well worth it. And we'll all get there together. Thanks again for joining the show, Megan. 
This has been the Government Huddle Podcast. You can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to gmarku.com or on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Chittistrayb. Thanks for joining today. Bye for now.